0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Second Samuel, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we might all have favorite stories, favorite people in the Bible. How many of you would say that David is your favorite non-Jesus person in the Bible? Okay, great. That makes two of us. All right. Okay, I'll ask you another one. When you think about a man like David, King David, and all that he did in his life, how many of you would think that you're better than him? Okay. No one, for those watching at home. Well, before we dig more into remembering David, let's talk about today's remembrance. Over 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, a professor of theology and a monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses onto the door at the Chapel of Wittenberg. The intent behind it was to return people, the church, back to God's word. Return them to a proper understanding of God's grace, seeing God as he presents himself to us in his word. Martin Luther saw this as necessary because the teaching of the time was that Jesus alone cannot get us to heaven, that he needs our help. At the time of the Reformation, as we now call it, many in the church believed that though Jesus did work to forgive us, we still needed to do something to partner with him to receive that forgiveness. So maybe it was living a good life. Maybe it was praying the right prayers. Maybe it was going to church. Regardless, this thinking was that what Jesus did on the cross just wasn't good enough to get us to heaven. Of all the 95 theses, the one that stands out to me is theses number 62. It says this, The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. So during this time, Martin Luther and other reformers discovered the truth about what Jesus does for us and our salvation as they read through God's word. Now these are summarized in the three sola statements. So that's sola gratia, sola fide, and sola scriptura, which is that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and we know this through scripture alone. And it's all because of Christ alone, that's solus Christus, Christ and him alone. This is the good news of the gospel. The work of salvation is done for you through Christ, and it's all a free gift. So Martin Luther sought to reform, to change their understanding of salvation, ultimately to bring people back to the word of God and the true treasure that it is. And so in our world today, sometimes we need to reform as well. We need to bring people back to the word of God, especially when they go against what it says. And it's not because we're any better than anyone else. It's not because we're trying to say that we're right and they're wrong, because we're all sinners. Sinners who, as we heard in Romans chapter 3, all fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news of Jesus too. Yes, we are all sinners. But we're sinners who are forgiven, redeemed, saved by Christ's work, his death, and his resurrection. We have undergone a reformation in our own lives. And we then hold firm to God's word because it is indeed the word of God. And it is the sole authority on all matters. Now, sometimes, though, we make ourselves the sole authority on all matters. We decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We place our own thoughts and opinions over God and his word. And sometimes we need the word of God put right in front of us in order to see the error of our ways. Take the story of today with King David. Here he is, the king of Israel, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who is not his wife, actually the wife of someone else, Uriah, and he decides to take her as if she is his wife, and he sleeps with her and he gets her pregnant. And if that isn't bad enough, he then tries to get Uriah, who was on leave from battle, to go and sleep with his wife to cover up his own sin. And it doesn't work. And so David's response then is to send Uriah into battle to get him killed so that he never finds out about what he's done. And sometimes that's what sin does to us it leads us to more sin. Take a lie, for instance. In order to keep a lie, we likely have to lie even more. Sometimes even bringing others into our lies. You might imagine it like this. Maybe some of you have had this happen to you as parents, right? You have a child who's hanging out with some friends and and they want to go or do something they're not supposed to do, right? And so, in order to give themselves the freedom to do that, to disobey you, right, they say, All right, you tell your parents you're sleeping over at my house, and I'll tell my parents I'm sleeping over at your house, and no, nobody will be any the wiser. When the reality is, obviously, you're not doing either of those things. And then, when your, your parents question you, Hey, how was the sleepover? What'd you do? And I got to lie some more, right? And then sometimes you have to bring some of your friends into it to vouch for you and your lies. In the story of David, what ends up happening is he brings Joab into it. Joab, who is the leader of his army, is the one who makes sure that Uriah goes to battle, and then when he's at the front lines, he pulls everybody else back so that Uriah dies. And then Joab, he sends a letter to King David to let him know that Uriah is dead, part of it. But he even prepares the messenger in the case that the news angers the king. And he tells him what to say. Which, of course, obviously that news isn't going to anger the the king. And all of that, all that David did, the adultery, the murder, God's word tells us it displeased the Lord. And so what does God do? He sends the prophet Nathan to confront David of his sin. And so Nathan tells David this story of a rich man who had many flocks. And, you know, David, as the shepherd he'll appreciate this. He might understand it. And there's this rich man who has a traveler, a guest coming. Rather than, than take a lamb from his many flocks, right, he takes from a poor man who only has one lamb. And of course, David rightfully responds with, that man deserves to die. And Nathan rightfully responds with, you are the man. And then he goes on to speak For God, and says this I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and wives, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? As I read this story, the line that often hits me is that if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. God is saying, I have given you. You, David, a man after my own heart. I have given you everything. And if everything wasn't enough, I would have given you more. I mean, this shows the depth of love that God has for David. But David despised the word of the Lord. He cast it aside. He ignored it. He took advantage of God's love for him. And he took what wasn't his. And he made it his own, Bathsheba. And he killed Uriah in order to get her. The prophet Nathan brings God's word right to David's face. And only then does David see what he's done. And sometimes that's what we need. We need to be hit in the face with the Word of God to see the error of our ways. We need to see that we despise the Word of God when we don't hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. That's the Luther's explanation of, to the third commandment, by the way. We take advantage of God when we think that we have permission to sin because, well, God's going to forgive us no matter what. We call that cheap grace. We displease the Lord when we think that we can earn our way to heaven, that we play a part in our salvation, that we can add onto Jesus' work of the cross, that we can do do good things for God, and that will mean that he's going to show us favor, that he's going to love us more. Newsflash, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Let me say that again. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. He's already shown the depths of his love for you when he sent Jesus to the cross. When Jesus died for you, he couldn't love you anymore in that moment. David was a man after God's own heart. Yet David also strayed very far away from God's heart, living in sin, living in unbelief, just like many of us do. When David sins, and when you hear God's response, it's like he broke God's heart. Do you ever think about your sin as breaking God's heart? The way David feels... His sin is how sometimes I feel about my sin. I think that's why David is so relatable to me. David writes Psalm 51 after this, which we read today as our confession of sins. And that's exactly what it is. It's a confession. After the prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him, David writes these words, and as I hear them, I feel these words. I don't know about you, but just listen to them. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Wash me, cleanse me from my sin. Against you have I sinned. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And to David's confession of sins, Nathan said, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's not what he deserved, though. David deserved death. He even said it himself in the scenario of the rich man and the poor man. But God is gracious to him. However, we do know the consequence for David's sin is that the child conceived with Bathsheba will die. And this might be hard for us to understand. We'll talk more about that next week. But David, he deserved death. What he needed was a reformation in his life. And rather than having 95 theses nailed to the door of his palace to confront him and his errors, He just needed one prophet to tell a story that was really about him so that he could see the error of his ways, so that God could bring about his repentance. And that's what happened. And sometimes we need that too. We need a reformation. Maybe sometimes we hear a story like David and we're like, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't gotten her pregnant. I haven't murdered her husband. But we have committed adultery when we've lusted. We have committed murder when we've had hatred towards someone. Are we really that different? Or do we just think we're better? I mean, do any of you really think you're better than King David, a man after God's own heart? None of you raised your hand. But just like David, when faced with sin... The words are the same for him, for us. You are the man. You are the one who has committed these sins. And just like David, we deserve to die. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And just like David, God doesn't give it to us. That doesn't mean there aren't other consequences, but it's not hell. Because Christ endured hell on the cross for you. He took your punishment. He took your death to bring you forgiveness. And so if you're sitting there today and you're someone who feels the weight of your sins, you feel the burden of them, it's hard not to think about it, not to dwell on it because of how great your sins are. Know this, that your sin is not too great to be forgiven by God. Let me say that again. Your sin is not too great to be forgiven by God. And when he brings us to repentance to understand our ways and we confess, Nathan's words are also for you. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. In forgiveness, by God's grace through faith, we cross over from death to life. And this free gift of salvation by God is for all people. It took a prophet, for David to understand God's love for him and God's word in his life. It took Martin Luther reading the book of Romans to understand God's love for him, God's word in his life, and how salvation is given to him freely, not by his works. David is a man who did great things, Through God at work in him. Luther did great things through God at work in him. So, if you compare yourselves to David or to Luther, what does it take for you to understand God's love for you, His word for your life, and the salvation that He won for you? A person to show you your sin? Reading the Word of God? What is it? And what great things will God do through you? I mean, maybe you know. Maybe you don't yet. What I can tell you is that you do great things by remembering what God has done in you and continues to do in you. Or as Martin Luther puts it, for this reason, we must hold boldly and fearlessly to our baptism And hold it up against all sins and terrors of conscience and humbly say, I know full well that I have not a single work which is pure, but I am baptized. And through my baptism, God who cannot lie has bound himself in a covenant with me not to count my sin against me, but to slay it and blot it out. That's who you are. If you ever doubt who you are, Think of the Reformation. Think of those words of Luther as Luther leads us to God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's nothing other than looking to God's word alone to see that Jesus Christ did it all for you. He laid down his life as the only one who could, who took your death and your punishment in order to reform your life. To give you forgiveness, to give you life to the fullest, to give you eternal life. You look to the cross to see who you are, that you are worth dying for, that you are worth saving. You look to your baptism, where you are washed clean and made holy, where you are clothed with Christ. It said that Luther would wake up in the morning, he'd make the sign of the cross. And he'd say, I am baptized. As a way of preparing for his daily life and his ministry. To be a man after God's own heart. And so you are. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, not of your own work, but by Christ alone. And there is nothing more to add to it. It is enough. It is everything. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.